0: All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to Tango Alpha Lima. I am clearly not Jeff Daly. I am his far more attractive, paler twin. Uh, but no, Mr. Daly uh, has had a little bit of a uh, medical uh, issue, and we hope he will be returning to us very shortly. But in his absence here, I have agreed to uh, to do not one, but two podcasts with Miss Ashley Garboja Maldonado. Ashley, how are you?
1: I'm well, Marcus is it's such a treat. Such yeah, a treat. It, it unfortunate circumstances, like I, but I always enjoy seeing your face.
0: You know, it and seems hearing your voice. like just a week ago we were hanging out together. And that actually be our topping number one because I believe it was just a week ago where we were hanging out.
1: That that is hundred percent correct. Um, you just happen to be in my area, this my stomping grounds. I uh I would have preferred a more than an advanced, you know, forty eight hour text and
0: yeah, it was but not great. I'm pretty sure on you communicated part.
1: better with my husband on your arrival than me knowing. I think the I, night that, before, they were just like, oh, Mark's going to be in town. I go, is this like a, I ready the guest room kind of thing? Or like, what is he doing? Like, where, why, why is he yeah. here? Like, so nobody to told it, me anything.
0: To give everybody some context, I, I was invited <laughs> to represent the Legion at a ruck march on the Capitol to support the Global War on Terrorism Memorial, which the American Legion is supported for a long time through resolutions. And I said yes. And uh, I know super producer Holly doesn't believe me, but I said yes, and then realized it was St. Patrick's Day. Not, I realized it was St. Patrick's Day, and I had to come up with some excuse to get Mm -hmm. to Washington, D.C. But I did have the pleasure of uh, not just seeing Ashley and the lovely Robert, but also some battle buddies from our time in the Army. We, uh, We did enjoy some libations together.
1: It was very nice. I I will say for anyone that does know you, I mean, they, they know the hilarity and the stories just kind of just they, they just kind of fall out. And then like you give yourself and then we give you like a Guinness and it's like, oh, well, my gosh, you remember when this happened? Or, and you oh, man, did,
0: I mean, you did manage to we did manage to get quite the crew together, too, because it was my battle oh, buddy yeah. from Afghanistan and my best friend, who's the former legislative director for the American Legion. So. We had quite a time. Yes, producer Holly. We were out with Ian, uh, who, for some inexplicable reason, thought we needed shots of Jameson's at what was it about noon? It might not even have been noon yet.
1: I just want to note that I did not participate in this level of libation.
0: And, and I would like I to not note it for the record.
1: Right, I had not slept up to that point. I had my first full cup of coffee before we even like sat and waited around, and I was like. I'm I've got stuff to do. I have slept. I worked all night on a project and then I wake myself up. I'm trying to get Rob at the Lincoln Memorial at 7. A.M. The Which chaos was
0: very early. Very and I, early. It should be noted that our libations all took place between like noon and maybe two. I, I know I went, was it later than two? I don't know. I know I went and got uh, some four way chili at the hard times in uh Alexandria, and I was in bed by like 4 30 or 5 o'clock so we did very much behave now I watched college basketball and kind of fool around I didn't know it was Uh, St. Patrick's Day and the first day of the NCAA tournament which is not a good day to drink unless you're an amateur it's not like that's that's based on the stories
1: I heard you are definitely no amateur that's
0: well that's old me that's pre- you Know 2008, me a very His,
1: sad Patty's right. day if that saying.
0: guy is that guy is no longer now. I go to bed with four way chili in me, but so oh. at, as we talked about, we are preparing for the Boston Marathon. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, Rob, uh, hopefully, will be joining us, Miss uh, Van Zanten out of South Dakota, and uh, super producer Holly's uh, chairman will be joining us. So Yeah, and Ashley will either be walking or be there with Jeff uh, cheering us on as we do the 26.2 miles with a 35-pound backpack.
1: Yeah, uncertain at this point. I mean, my wrist is healing up pretty well. got a really nice scar. Oh,
0: you, yeah. I know,
1: a really nice scar. Um, But I'm also a slip, trip, and fall hazard. And between my knee injury and my wrist injury in the past eight months, I'm not doing super hot. You but did. You did. I, were, do I could probably do it with fifteen pounds. I could probably do you, it with fifteen pounds. So
0: you did do spectacular at your chosen task at seven o'clock I, in the morning at the Lincoln Memorial, which I was did. Miss Ashley was my flag bearer. That's right. She carried the big red American Legion flag for me, so that you know national officer guy wouldn't have to carry his own flag. Which no, would be so a, bougie. I, I mean, it would Better be a from the little, bottom. over we here. It would look a little weird if I was carrying my own flag, but. It was nice. We got to hang out with your uh, ultimate big boss got to talk to him for quite a while the VA secretary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we hung out with uh, Senator from Iowa.
1: Yeah, uh, There's, uh, C- congressmen and women, anyone who supported the bill, and just yeah. kind of it, its follow through was there. Secretary of the VA. Um, I know Jared Lyon was there from yeah. student sure. Vouchers of America. There were a few folks from IVA, um, at least that I had recognized and saw uh yeah just just a hodgepodge of folks it was really nice to catch up with you know mike rod rodriguez um who we've interviewed before on the show uh I love so that it was guy. nice to see a lot of familiar faces but it was really exciting to be our guide on barrier rod, guide is, on
0: rod <laughs> is a stud man i love that guy he, is, know. He's, he is he's he's so wonderful. great yeah so
1: he was so sad when we parted ways he just looked at me. And goes. Oh,
0: i know man. he did look and he no. but, so the memo i had got was you had to bring your vaccination card with you and i had in my prep neglected to pass that information on and so i just felt kind of weird next time we will 100 have breakfast with rod because he did look wounded that we weren't going with him but at that point i needed to return my ginormous flag that i'd stolen from the dc headquarters and it was st patrick's day so yeah.
1: it, it was nice to catch up with some folks and, and say hi and, and just It was just wild. So I really haven't been in the office a whole lot since 2018 when I interned. So it's nice to see familiar faces.
0: I hadn't been to our headquarters office there in forever in a day. So it was interesting to see that. But the takeaway of this whole topic here that we're talking about is one, I got to see Ashley and Rob, which was great. Number two is we are getting ready for the Boston Marathon. So if you Mm -hmm. or someone, you know, will be in the Boston Marathon ruck tough ruck portion and, or you're going to be there in the, uh, lexington or concord area and you want to come out and see us we would love to see everybody so uh send us an email tango lima at legion.org so there yes. you go all, all right about- ash i obviously was not here for the interview so why don't you uh preface and tell us uh, what we'll be hearing about today
1: sure awesome so so last month jeff and I, jeff and i visited with colonel john As- or ace Astle. A uh, uh, U.S. Marine Corps retired. So John served in the U.S. Marine Corps from 1966 to 1975, including a tour in Vietnam as a helicopter pilot from 1968 to 69, and a tour as a Marine One pres- me, Presidential Helicopter Pilot from 1971 to 74. His military service commendations include the Legion of Merit, two Purple Hearts, Meritorious Service Medal, 31 Air Medals, and the Presidential Service Badge. After, resigning from, his, after excuse me, resigning from his regular commission in 1975, John served 21 years in the Marine Corps Reserve. During this time, he volunteered and served five months active duty in the Persian Gulf War and Desert Storm. He retired as a colonel from the U.S. Marine Corps Reserve in 1996. John flew helicopter patrols for the Baltimore Police Department from 1978 to 1984, and then as a medical evacuation pilot for the Washington Hospital Center. From 1985 to 2005. So he's a very, very busy man. His public service also includes many political positions, including that of Maryland State Senator from 1995 to 2019. Colonel Astle celebrates his 60 years of military and public service with his new book, Jungle Combat, a a combat pilot's tape recorded transcripts from Vietnam, 1968 to 1969. Today, Colonel Astle lives in Annapolis, Maryland, where he is a lifetime member of Guy C. Parlett American Legion Post 7. We'll be right back with Colonel Astle right after this break.
0: Howdy folks, y'all come on out, get out of those recliners and join us for the 2022 100 Miles for Hope Challenge.
1: The third American Legion Fitness Challenge will raise money again for veterans and military families in need.
0: We've made big improvements to the 2022 Challenge. monthly mini challenges with awesome prizes. Hey, department adjutants, department Commander, let's get some department versus department challenges and get it going, let's go. This year we've made it even easier to track
1: your miles. We've made it even easier for friends and family to support you through donations to the Veterans and Children Foundation.
0: My goal this year is to raise $450,000 for the Veterans and Children Foundation, but we need your help. support veterans and military families visit legion.org backslash hundred miles to register and learn more let's show the nation that we are veterans, veterans strengthening Strengthen america. america
2: colonel astell senator astell and john welcome and Ura. and here we are at tango alpha Lima. it's great to have you on the
3: show thanks for uh, allowing me to be here.
2: All right, I think we're gonna jump right in and Ashley likes to Ashley likes to start, so
3: yes,
1: yes, I do. And you are a man of many hats. man of many hats, John, very impressive. So what I want to start with is I want to dig in into your military service. you know, you've got law enforcement background, you've been with the maryland general assembly you've you've done a lot of amazing things, so I want to hear the beginning of your story, John, like tell us up to the points in which you started and joined the military and kind of bring us into your time in the service.
3: When I was in high school, I was not uh, an athlete. I didn't play football. I didn't do all the manly things. I didn't wrestle or box or any of that. And so when I was graduating and my grades weren't that good and colleges weren't really excited about having me as one of their students, uh, I decided to enlist in the Marine Corps Reserve. Uh, it was supposed to be the toughest group and you know I was gonna prove my manhood. <laughs> so, so I enlisted, <clears throat> I went to Parris Island, Camp Lejeune, I did six months of active duty and I came back to uh, Huntington, West Virginia and uh, enrolled at Marshall University. And uh, once I got in, I decided I kind of liked the Marine Corps but I didn't want to be a private. So I applied for and was accepted into the platoon leader candidate course, which is a commissioning program. I did two summers and uh, was commissioned as a regular Went on active duty. And then from there I served 10 years uh, active service. Initially, uh, And I I was was telling Holly earlier, I thought I wanted to be an infantry officer because I'd grown up in West Virginia in the woods and hunting and guns. And, you know, it was a time right after the war, uh, the big one, the last one we won and uh, all our fathers had served. And so it was assumed you were going to serve. So I was at Quantico. We were out on a, a field exercise one night. And it was drizzling rain it was late October and it was cool and we were cold and wet and miserable and a helicopter came in and picked us up and I got on board and it was warm and dry and the pilots were sitting down I said I think maybe this is what (laughs) I really want to do so I applied for flight school um now I failed the physical I have a hearing loss as a result of a childhood issue. So they sent me to Bethesda, did all the tests and the doctor took me into his office and when he finished and said, Lieutenant, uh, you have a hearing loss. But you know what, that is exactly why they have volume switches on radios and he gave me a waiver. So I get into flight school on a waiver and then uh, went to Pensacola. Uh, It was preordained I was going to fly helicopters. Uh, The Marine Corps didn't give you the option. You know, they'd say, well, tell us what you want to do. And then they'd tell you what you're going to do. So you probably know how that works, Jeff. So um, I got assigned to uh, the CH-46, which was a tandem rotor transport helicopter. I went to North Carolina, did the transition, and then went to Vietnam. Got there on the 19th of June. And uh, a couple of days later, I flew my first combat flight. I mean, they weren't wasting any time. I was just uh baggage in the left seat, but I was still in the in the cockpit. <clears throat> Excuse me, and that went on for until uh July of 69 when I came home. So half of the tour I was out of Marble Mountain, and the other half I was on a boat on a a uh, Navy carrier, a helicopter carrier. So I came home, I went to North Carolina, uh, I did a deployment. And this was, this was like a reward. Six months in the Caribbean on a on a ship. <laughs> we visited all the islands, went to embassy parties, and we had, it was like <laughs> a carib cruise that somebody else was paying for. <clears throat> I came back, um, I went to a a school and then I got asked if I would be interested in being a pilot for the president. And I of course said, yes. So I was accepted to the presidential helicopter squadron and I did three and a half years flying for President Nixon and Vice President Agnew until he checked out. And then uh, I did some, I went back overseas again. I took part in the final evacuation of Saigon in April of 75, and then I came home from that and tendered my resignation. But I stayed in the reserves because I didn't want to give up 10 years investment. And uh, then I did another 20 years as an active reservist and retired in 1996 on 30 years service. So that's kind of- incredible. Now, in the meantime, the 20 years in the reserves, I flew helicopters for a police department. Uh, I had to become a police officer. I had a gun, a badge, and handcuffs.
1: Uh, The essentials, the essentials.
3: As a former military
1: police, the essentials.
3: Not that a helicopter pilot would ever use handcuffs, but um, (laughs) I was there for six years, but the job had no future. And one uh, evening I was with some friends in Annapolis talking over whiskey and, I mentioned my job, there was no growth potential, no real future, and one of the guys, asked, you should run for mayor of Annapolis, you'd be perfect. And I had just enough whiskey, it seemed like a good idea. And I ran. And uh, I ended up winning the primary and uh, I lost the general election by 243 votes. But I found something that really interested me. So the following year, I ran for the House of Delegates. Uh, there were three open seats. 12 candidates, I came in first. And uh, so I did 12 years as a house member and then uh, the Senator uh, retired. And so I ran and replaced him and did 24 years as a member of the Maryland Senate. Now, while I was doing the legislature, I still had to work. So I got a job flying, uh, you know, MedStar, the Washington Hospital Center. I, f- I flew a helicopter for them. Cause that's Just all- Just when I you didn't have do.
1: enough stuff to do. You're like, ah, I'm going to do this too. I can't sit keep, still. keep reaching for the stars. <laughs> I love it. Oh, my God. So that's
3: my life history encapsulated. In the meantime, uh, I get married. I had two boys. My oldest son went to the Naval Academy and became a Marine officer. So my youngest son wanted nothing to do with the uniform.
1: That's okay.
2: Well, there you go. Uh, yeah. You said you, when, you were, when you were flying in... Uh, yeah, you you flew a CH46, correct? That's correct. Yeah. I I was uh I did a lot of time in CH46s, including one that did a sudden stop at the bottom three times. <laughs> uh so I have, well, that's I, have so, good. I know I have some fear, I have some fear of the double whirly bird. Uh, it's it's interesting. It's the you seem to have found your path some they put you on and some you, you just excelled and were, uh, put into, it's, it's interesting, it's interesting, uh, about the Marine one thing, uh, what goes into being selected? Do you need a security clip? Like what, what goes on with getting on to be a pilot on Marine mm-hmm. one?
3: Well, the, the first thing, what, when, when I was there and I was over 40 years ago. And so I'm not sure exactly uh, how they operate administratively today, but, First thing that um, the CO would call the officers into an, an all officers meeting and say, okay, guys, we got a couple openings. Um, do you know, anybody you think might fit. They were looking for people whose personality would allow them to integrate into the unit and they would fit well with the other the other pilots, the other officers. And then um, they get some names and then they'd start checking you out. And one of the things was clearance. You, know, you had to be able to get a clearance. and if you had a drunk driving arrest, you were out. That that was a no-no. But so you get through that initial screening, and then um, we had to get a White House access clearance. Well, we had to get a top secret clearance uh, that was done by the military, and then beyond that, we had to get a White House access clearance, which w- was where the Secret Service got really down into your back and your background. I mean, they dug they dug pretty deeply, and they found things that I'd forgotten about, <laughs> but nothing criminal. So that's and then, but you also had to have a reputation as being a good, uh, solid, safe pilot.
2: I would imagine that you had uh, you had pretty uh, precious cargo carrying the leader of the free world. So, well, but most ex-
3: most exclusive cargo was in my seat.
2: There you go, that's that's that Marine Corps attitude. All right, so we're, <laughs> we're going to switch. We're into the we're going to switch into the second round of questioning. i am going to try not to go too sixty minutes on you. Uh, we, we I want to kind of focus on the the book part of this and uh, tell us what in what went into deciding to make the book, uh, and 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 what you hope what you hope people will get out of it.
3: When I went to Vietnam, I knew I wasn't going to write a lot of letters because I, I just, I hated to sit down and write. So I took a cassette tape recorder and I, I told my mom, you need to get one. Cause I'm going to be sending you tapes. And so at night I would talk on the tape recorder before I went to sleep. And then when I filled up a tape, I'd send them home. And my mother, like mothers do saved all the tapes. Uh, and they were in a closet for over 40 years. And then uh, she called me one day and said, you know, you really ought to take these tapes, put them in your house. So I brought them to my house here in Annapolis and put them back in the closet. Well, then one day I, I ran into a guy on the street, a, a guy named uh, John Ripley. You know that name? Uh, Rip, Ripley at the bridge. He um, He was the guy that climbed out while the North Vietnamese were shooting at him and put explosives on a bridge during the Easter offensive before the before the war was over. Anyway, he lives here, or yeah, he's dead now, but he lived in Annapolis and I ran into him one day and <clears throat> I mentioned these tapes and he said, well, you ought to donate them because we have in the Marine Corps historical branch an oral history um, project we're working on and this would fit right in, so I did and then a couple weeks later he gives me a digitized copy of the tapes because he said the magnetic stuff deteriorates but beyond that he gave me a a printed out transcription of the tapes back in my closet because I at this point I had no vision of doing anything with this and then a friend of mine uh, our sister is an editor and I mentioned this one day I had these this transcription. And she said, my sister would like to see that. And so I gave it to her sister and a couple weeks later, she called me and said, there's a story here. Cause this is uh, like a time capsule, your words, uh, 53 years ago uh, your words at the moment. And it captures the emotion, uh, the fear um, you know, all those aspects of what it's like to be in combat. And so, And she said, and and I'll edit it for you. So she did. And we got this all done and decided it it was worth trying to do something with. So we put it together and now it's a book. That's awesome.
2: Uh, Uh, Before I hand over to Ashley, I wanna wanna do uh, a little edification. Uh, Cassette tape is a plastic thing that has a magnetic strip and it records audio, Ashley, you probably, yeah.
1: Oh, this is for me. This is for me. Yeah. What I mean. yeah. I, oh, I thought you were just like.
2: No, no, no. That's for you. That's a cassette rude, tape.
1: Jeffrey. Yeah. Rude. I know what a cassette tape is. I also know okay. what a floppy disk is. I also remember dial-up internet. I also have, I remember having to write things down. Okay. I had to take notes too, just like everybody else. I just heard recently they're getting rid of like the writing portion or any writing for SATs. Anyway, that's besides the point. I'm too late for all of that. I am now in the present. I'm full self-aware.
3: My, right, my right, parents right. won't let
1: me forget. Anywho. I heard was,
3: uh, Holly told me there was a little tension sometimes between you guys. So I could see. A <laughs> little bit. <laughs> I could see that. A little bit. A little
1: bit, John. I love them to death. But there are just moments where I'm like.
3: Mostly to death,
2: apparently. So. <laughs> all right, Ashley, you're up. Nope. <laughs> so-
1: I want to hear a little bit about some of the things that you were surprised. So you get, you get the transcripts back from the book. You've got someone who's willing to do copy edit for you. And I'm just really curious as to like, as you were going through the pieces and tidbits of the book, what were some of the standout moments where you were either like really coy about what probably would be considered like very dangerous and, or, you know, just maybe even. So what I'm looking for um, almost just something that surprised you about like moments in that time span while you were in Vietnam and you're, you're sending these tapes over I just I'd love to get some more insight as to as you're rereading these or you know re-listening to these what your well, initial feedback was
3: I didn't listen but I read I read the transcript um, okay. and and I had a couple of there were a uh, couple of places where it's it scratched the scab off some of my memories. And uh, there were times when I had to put it down and walk away because the emotion was the emotion was there. And I just had to take some time to, to get that under control. And there were other things where I read something and I say, well, I kind of remember that, but I don't remember it like this. Well, you know how your memory uh, shades things over time, over 50 years. So all in all, um, I think it was a good experience for me to first of all, come face to face with some of those really emotional moments that I kind of put in the back of my mind over the years, just not to deal with. Uh, and also to clear up some of the uh, the memories that I got wrong. Cool. So, so, and there was, oh, sorry, things. go ahead. Well, one thing um, I remember in one place in the book, I'm, I'm talking about, I, I read that the students uh, were demonstrating on college campuses against Dow Chemical because Dow Chemical made napalm. And I said in the book, wow if they were where we were, they would love napalm because it was a very effective weapon. I'll give you an example. If we were going to be putting troops in the field, we try to prep the landing zone before we got there. And so we had a choice. We could either do an artillery prep or we could do a fixed wing um, dropping bombs, hard bombs or napalm. Well, artillery and bombs would rattle the, the... Caves and things these guys hid in, but it wouldn't it wouldn't touch them. But napalm would get in and get them. And so if if we naped the zone before we went in, we were pretty confident that we were not going to get shot out. Uh, where in the other case, if if we didn't, if we used hard bombs or artillery, there was always a good chance somebody was going to pop out of a hole and start shooting at you. That was one thing. There was another thing that struck me, and I was just reading this the other day, and it just popped out. I'd flown to a fire base one day and uh, shut down. I went into the uh, operations office and I saw a chart on the wall. Uh, it, had, it was a big poster and it had NDA and VC and it had a number after. Uh, and that was the number that had been killed. And then while I'm sitting there, a guy comes out with another chart and he puts this up on the wall. And it, it had the, all the units of that um, regiment that were in the field. And the uh, body count, NVA and VC. I looked at that and I thought, this is just a game. This is the Anwa Valley Conference scores, and that's what we're doing here. And that's really the war became a body count thing. Kill them and count them was uh, was what we were doing. And oftentimes we were going back over the same territory that we'd been in six weeks earlier. So it was just just wondering what. What are we doing here? And one other thing, uh, I got a picture that um, that's my favorite of all the pictures that I brought back. Uh, a friend of mine just caught me on the street one day and took uh, a full face photograph. And I look at it and I can see the dark circles under my eyes. Uh, I can see the, the fatigue in my face. I mean, we were just worn out. And I'm reading a book and I tell my mother, well, mom, it's uh, two in the morning and we're under a rocket attack. And I'm in the bunker, but I'm really not happy because I got a four o'clock wake up because I got a 4.30 brief this morning because I'm going flying. And it hit me. That's why I was tired because we had these rocket and mortar attacks at night. And then, you know, we'd have to get out of the our beds and go hide in the bunker until it was over. And in the meantime, You weren't getting any sleep. Now, I will tell you towards the end of my tour, it got to the point where we would hear the crump, crump of the mortars down the flight line and we just roll over and go back to sleep because we needed the sleep. You know, when you're flying, fatigue is one of the biggest killer of aviators and you're so tired, you make judgmental errors. So anyway, those are a couple of things that kind of stood out.
1: Well, I, I sincerely appreciate you sharing them. I know that we've got a little bit of your epilogue from your book. And Jeff, I don't know if, if you would like me to read a little bit of that or if...
2: I think he was going to read.
1: Oh, are you going to read it first, yeah. John? Yeah. Oh, yay.
3: Well, there, there's one I just was looking at earlier where I went into a, a real uh, difficult place. Actually, if I can use the real term it was a shit sandwich. This is what we call really dangerous missions. <clears throat> and so it was a Sunday afternoon, you know, the sun shining brightly and air smooth and quiet. And, um, they, they called me, said, you got to fly. And so we ended up, we took four helicopters out. This uh, reaction team had been put into the bush to chase after some, uh, Viet Cong or NBA. I'm not sure. And, uh, so we we get out there, and the first two airplanes went down, and uh, they got shot up going down, shot up coming out. Uh, we start down, we got shot up. Every one of the four airplanes got shot up on that. And you know, I'm just thinking, this is just. So I get home, home, home is where I slept. wasn't like home. <clears throat> so in the tape, I said to my mom, well, oh, you know, this is what happened today. And da, 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 and, and by the way, I learned something. Uh, you remember I told you once, and you get in a situation like this, you'd be too busy to be scared. Well, mom, I just discovered today. You're never that busy. <clears throat> no matter how busy, you're still terrified.
2: Well, ain't that the truth. So uh, that's your, your book is your book is called Jungle uh, Combat, Jungle Combat, A Combat Pilot's Tape Record Transcripts from Vietnam, 1968 to 1969. Where where can we get that? Where can we find it?
3: It's on Amazon. It's on Amazon. Yeah. Okay. I I go to coffee in the mornings and a woman showed up yesterday. She had a copy of the book wanted me to sign it. So where'd you get that? Well, I've ordered it on Amazon. Okay. So. So you, you have stalking fans. I love it. Yeah. Well, I try, let me, you want to hear another war story? Yes. Take us out with one more. Take us out with one more. My worst day in Vietnam, we were going to do a big operation. We were going to put um, a division of Marines in a 15 mile circle. We had every helicopter that was available in I-Corps, every Marine Corps helicopter that was available. And so when we, we went out, The part of the zone that my squadron was going to land in was covered with a layer of clouds, so we had to fly through the cloud layers to get to the ground. And you know that's something that you—they tell you from day one you don't fly in clouds unless you're on an instrument flight plan. But we didn't have a choice, so I came out underneath the clouds, and I'm already scared. I had about 300 feet of clearance between the bottom of the clouds and uh, the ground, and I had. The helicopter, the three helicopters in my division in front of me. I'm the last guy. We're in a circle, and in the middle of our circle are the last two helicopters of the four in front of us. And everybody had their 50 caliber machine guns blazing away. And so I'm dancing, you know, trying to avoid running into any of my squadron mates. So eventually, we got on the ground. We dropped our people, and then one of the other squadrons landed on uh, the escape route that the bad guys were using and two of the helicopters were blown up by command detonated mines and almost everybody on board was killed. And so meantime, there's a lot of screaming on the radios. I'm hit, I'm hit. Oh my God. And I, I, you know, that kind of stuff that, you know, on the 46, the, the intercom you pull the trigger just to one click and you talk on the intercom, you pull it all the way back. You're on the radio. And these guys were, Squeezing that that trigger, and they were talking on the radio. Anyway, uh, it took a while to get somebody in to get the bodies out. In the meantime, uh, the squadron commander grabbed me and said, "We got a a recon team that's that needs an emergency extract extraction." And that's that's another one of those sandwiches. You know, I know getting a recon team is not going to be uh, easy but you can't say no, you know, CO says, it's yours, go do it. So I flew out, I had two helicopters and uh, I called them on the radio and they said, ah, we can't accept you right now, we're in hand-to-hand combat. And uh, no, this doesn't sound good at all. And so I flew off a mile or two and I'm orbiting and they're, they're running fixed wing airstrikes and gunship, the gunships were shooting. And then eventually they called me and said, okay, you're ready, come get us. And So, you know, you just take a deep breath and you go because you don't have a choice. So I got down and got them. And we flew them back to the fire base that they were working out of. In the meantime, while I was doing that they'd gotten the bodies out from the crashes. And uh, they were um, lined up at the airfield. And I'm the last, we were the last two helicopters that were still left out. So we ended up carrying the bodies back to the morgue. Well, The pilot of one of those was a good friend of mine. I'd gone through flight school with him. I'd had breakfast with him that morning and he, he was in a body bag in the back of my helicopter. I cried all the way to the morgue. I mean, it was just difficult. So anyway, that was my worst day. Of uh, my 13 months, it's even worse than I got wounded twice, but they were relatively minor. So, so Jeff, that's, that's it. Wow, that's
1: uh, thank you for that's sharing. a tough
2: first day, uh, and I thank you for sharing it with us. And I, uh, uh, I'm sure you've shared it at your at your Legion Post Seven there in Maryland. And with the world in your book and uh, the digitized the digitized audio history, uh, where's that at once again?
3: We haven't um, actually brought that to the marketplace yet, so it's okay. still. It's in a museum or something somewhere, though, correct? Oh, oh, it's in the, the Marine Corps uh, Historical Historical Branch Museum. Okay.
2: All right. Perfect. Well. Uh, I thank you so much and uh Semper Fidelis, sir. And uh, Ashley, you wanna say anything on the way out?
1: I just want to say thank you and welcome home.
3: Oh uh, thanks, Ashley. And uh if you get to Annapolis sometime, you have to look me up and I know my way around town and I know people.
1: <laughs> I I bet you do, John.
3: <laughs> so if you, you want to talk if you want to talk history of Annapolis, I'd be happy to. Introduce you some people and get what you need.
2: All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, this is just this has been uh, this has been a, a a much needed perspective. And I, I really appreciate it.
3: Thanks, thanks, Jeff, and thanks for your service. Hey, I got to tell you. Can I tell you one more story? <laughs> uh that's a super time, well yeah one more well, okay when i went when i went to quantico it was a year to the day from the day i'd gotten off the bus at paris island and i get off the bus at quantico and i'm going through receiving and i see my senior drill instructor from paris island and i thought oh god because i was scared to death of him he was a thumper you know i had been kicked punched, and cursed. <laughs> So I'm trying to hide from him and I get through receiving and they said, go stand out there. We're forming a platoon. So I'm standing at attention and uh, out the corner of my eye, I see this guy coming towards me and he gets right in my face and his smoky Bear hat was bumping me in the forehead because he's a little bit shorter than I am. And he says, you know me, boy? I said, yes, sir. Where do you know me from? Parasylans, sir. I take you through boot camp? Yes, sir. What platoon? And I told him and he said, ah, yes, the private astral. Come here, maggot. And he grabbed me by the shirt and drags me around to these other sergeants and said, look, one of my turds. Not actually, that's a trainee undergoing recruit direction. So it's an acronym. Uh, Anyway, couldn't get enough, came back for more. And it it worked out to my benefit because he knew what I knew because he'd helped train me. So He'd say, "Okay, girls, today we're gonna. I'm gonna teach you how to make a field marching pack. Astle, get over here." And so we'd do a field marching pack, and then he'd say, "Okay, you got any questions? Ask him." So I became like his assistant, and uh, I ended up graduating as the honor man uh, in my platoon. So it worked out.
2: All right, yeah. And I think I think I think you don't want to give too much away. I think for anything else, uh, everybody else out there needs to get that book. Uh, and and read up on this, and you can uh, you can find you can find him on LinkedIn and everywhere else. And we will, super producer is always all over this, so you'll be able to be able to send him uh, notes and such as that. So once again, thank you. Welcome home, Semper Fidelis.
3: Semper five Marine. Okay. A veteran is a veteran. A veteran is a veteran. A veteran is a veteran. The American Legion embraces
0: all courage. And former members of the military and endeavors to help them transition into their communities. We are Veterans Strengthening America.
3: We are the American Legion. All right.
0: So, Ashley, you know, I, I realized as I was looking at the screen, I'm sitting here looking like an extra in the town, aren't I? wearing my little irish cap and my leather coat. It's literally cold in my office. I want to defend myself on that regard. <laughs> it is a little chilly here. I don't know it's why. It's very I'm wearing on brand coat. for
1: you. It's very on brand for you. I it, it's fine. Yeah.
0: Yeah, ever since I became the judge advocate and they told me I couldn't wear hoodies, I think I wear the coat <laughs> about 85%. Of the you, rebel. <laughs> I, you,
1: you rebel. You
0: rebel. I, I feel more safe when I'm surrounded by a warm cocoon of clothing. So it's yeah. adorbs adorbs. Yeah. yeah. You know, you know, me, I'm such a sensitive guy to begin with. Nothing sensitive. Nothing like talking about my feelings. All right. So first up is my feelings on Russia's <laughs> alleged use of first hypersonic missile in combat, which according to a military.com article here, um, Russian defense ministry claimed its military used hypersonic missiles against an underground ammunition warehouse as well as a fuel depot during the country's fighting in Ukraine last weekend, reportedly marking the first ever use of the new type of weapon in combat. Hypersonic missiles, which can travel five times the speed of sound, making them hard to track, trace, and destroy before hitting a target, have inspired worry among U.S. officials and defense industry experts. Those warnings have been constant drumbeat in recent years. However, they're being downplayed here uh, with regard to their use in the Ukraine, um, you got a chance to read this story ash
1: yeah i was reading through it and it's just i think it's interesting like i i mean i personally see this as a bit of a game changer but some of the folks in this article are saying i would not see it as a game changer but again i'm limited on expertise and scope frankly like i've got friends in the intel yeah. who, intel space would so probably disagree or agree or be neutral right um it's just been interesting to watch everything kind of go on these these past few weeks between Russia and Ukraine and just seeing some of the increased use of ammunition and then the fall and rise and of, of certain um, sort I'm looking for. Um, just the, the variation of bombardment of, of missiles and things that they've been using on some of the cities has just really, really captivated me and I, I can't believe there's like there's literally there's going to be nothing left and then just hear about yeah. you know these hypersonic missiles it just makes you wonder like when when is when is like when when is it going to be enough right like when yeah. when are we going to hit that that line in the sand so it's just it's interesting yeah. and I'm i don't want that. this
0: to sound flippant but this hypersonic missile is apparently the only thing that's doing its job in terms of the russian military I mean, meanwhile, you got mm. pictures of like Russian tanks and BMP being dragged away by dudes on tractors. So like without a a logistical trail to put the uh, ammunition on target, this is about the only thing working for the Russians right now.
1: Mm-hmm. But yeah,
0: from what I can, from what I've seen and in reading this article, I mean, it doesn't like at first you're kind of like, holy crap, like a hypersonic missile sounds super bad. And mm-hmm. eh. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's all that in a bag of chips but i'm not a missile guy but i don't know thought the story was fairly interesting yeah you know they they built it all up and now it's like man well i don't know but speaking about ukraine this is uh when uh miss holly when i volunteered to help with the podcast today and it was one of those like if you need me i'll do it please don't need me and then she didn't even wait for me to get a second breath she's like great we'll see you at noon tomorrow but anyway, Miss Holly did come up to my office today and said that I needed to watch the video of Rapid Fire Two,
3: mm-hmm. which
0: is the viral sensation of a was she six or eight of a little girl singing let it, let it Let It Seven. So see, I bracketed it pretty well. The little Ukrainian girl singing Let It Go in the in the subway system in Ukraine, which was very adorable. And, unfortunately, Miss Holly now has to let it go stuck in my head and my daughter sings it all the time too so i do kind of get with it but she did a uh she sang the ukrainian national anthem at a charity concert in poland yesterday and did you get a chance to see her there
1: oh my goodness i watched it little amelia i yeah oh gave me all the feels all the feels
0: it was was adorable i'll I'll give you it was adorable and miss holly said you're gonna cry and i was like all right get out of my office like i don't we're not (laughs) that's we're not here for that today. Well, I got other fish to fry other than having you watch me cry. Anyway, I thought it was a great story. You know, it's, it's just like anything. People will find inspiration and in kind of weird things and little coos like a seven-year-old girl saying, let it go is that's big, especially when, you know, people that will watch the news aren't necessarily going to see that. But people who don't watch the news, anybody with a computer pretty much saw this little Ukrainian girl. And if it creates right. some support for Ukraine, Absolutely. Anyway, I thought it, yep. it really was quite quite cute.
1: So there's the Let It Go video, like her singing Let It Go, and then for the Together With Ukraine, which was the uh, organization from the Polish Humanitarian Action, I think society or org or nonprofit, et cetera. But anyway, this benefit concert, Amelia seven sang the Ukraine national anthem. So it was just like this this wave of momentum behind her viral video to really draw attention and unify the country. So it was was very beautifully done. And she didn't, it was very cute.
0: I can't tell it. She didn't seem particularly shy about appearing in front of all those people. So like, I don't know if public speaking is something you grow to fear later on, but I Mm -hmm. mean, here she is standing in front of a lot more people than I've ever stood in front of singing. And I certainly don't sing, but I, it, was, it was cute, it was very cute. Children
1: are fearless. We're the ones who impose our own limitations on them. So they're fearless until they're other told, told otherwise.
0: Yeah, I thought it was. I really I believe that. I, 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 I really did think it was cute. Um, oh, now everyone else here, rapid fire three, I, I need you to be sitting down for this one, but uh, the Taliban has canceled girls higher education despite pledges. This is, this is my shock face. Whoever could have foreseen that the Taliban would not follow true to their promises? Ash, shocked, are you?
1: No, but it makes me upset. Yeah. As an advocate for education and and women in STEM and and trying to, you know, break these. mm, Yeah. It's just steps backwards that these these women don't need. And of course, there will be those who will say otherwise and because of the, the way that here's yeah.
0: the ap story taliban cancels higher education for girls despite pledges and it says afghanistan's taliban rulers unexpectedly decided against reopening schools wednesday to girls above the sixth grade reneging on a promise and opting to appease their hardline base at the expense of furlier further alienating the international community sorry it's been a while since i read uh but i mean this is like if you can't trust the Taliban to follow through on higher education for women, what can you believe in, right?
1: What? I, it's like they're like the country is just in this spiral of worsening humanitarian crises or yeah, crisisy, yeah. right? And um, it's it's a shame, you know.
3: The,
0: everybody I talk to, like all the guys in my unit, we've all said the same thing the most rewarding thing we did when we were there was open up girls schools and boom, they're closed. You know, it's, I don't know. It's a little tough to deal with, but uh, I guess shout outs. I mean, there's only one shout out for me. That's to our good friend, Jeff, who is probably, well, as we're recording this, he's hopefully just laying there in bed, watching TV. Miss Holly says that uh, people were going to go and visit him today and spend time with him and I asked her politely that if I'm ever in the hospital, no one come and visit me. Just, I'm going to sit there and watch Family Guy because if I'm sick enough to be in a hospital, I definitely, I can't handle talking to people as well. But Jeff Daly is a talker and a sharer and a people person. Yeah. So I can't
1: even, I can't even imagine him being any place where he has to, like, there's no one to talk to. I feel like he's the type right? who would press the call button just so the nurses would come in.
0: Right. He, He'd be like, hey sorry hey. sorry sir are you how are you doing today are, what are, you, are you having is something wrong no i was just no, lonely. No. How,
1: are, how are you doing wow i could just see him just long long awkward pauses but like really grasping for it like searching well, yep i, I can also
0: see, see jeff daily having a line of people outside his room wanting to visit yes. with him and him being legitimately excited to meet with every one of them
1: yes he's probably it, like making sure his nighty gown is like super tied up. And he's probably like, oh, right. it's like, I'm ready to receive my next guest. Right. Come hither. Although I, I mean, <laughs> do you I bring do tribute?
0: Like, <laughs> God, he's going to kill me. I just want a video of him, you know, shuffling through the halls, holding the back of his gown clothes, you know. With clothes, his little so socks like... on. Yeah. His little yeah. grippy socks. Oh, yeah, I love it.
1: Oh my yes. God, he's going to murder me. We're going to get such a rude text. All How right. How dare you? Well,
0: Jeffrey, we love you. Come back soon, so that I don't have to do this, because uh, you are infinitely better at this job than I am. Um, so I don't know what what I don't know what I'm forgetting.
1: Oh, oh! I'll tell you what you're forgetting. So do not forget to subscribe to the Tango Alpha Lima podcast on YouTube, Apple, or excuse me, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Please leave us a review and give us a big old five star rating, so that way the world knows how much you love us. If you do have a guest recommendation, go to legion.org backslash tango alpha lima and click on the suggest a guest link. Say that three times fast suggest a guest, suggest a guest, suggest a guest. That's what I'm talking about. Now, I know Jeff isn't here to do the official closeout, but I'm going to say that episode, Wait, let me double check. 98. Episode 98. Wow. Wow. Episode 98. I
0: thought we recorded episode 100 or something. I right, she's doing this is the
1: mm, okay got it okay. This Anywho, is Holly doing
0: the and I don't for, know what of I it. Mean.
1: For the rest, for the rest of folks who know the official signing yeah. off of the Jeff Dale, I'm going to try and duplicate it. So this is episode 98, mission complete.